Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Thank you, Tim. Great. Okay, well, if you have a Bible, could you turn to the Gospel of Mark? We are unhurriedly walking through the Gospel of Mark. I hope you're enjoying it. I am, actually. I, I, I mean, I honestly feel like... You hear all this stuff like, oh, you've just got to make everything like super idiot proof and get through the Bible in like three weeks for people to stay you know, attentive. And I'm like, baloney, baloney, don't patronize people. People like to savor the Bible unhurriedly. Um, so I'm really excited. I'm excited to hear Joni in a few weeks opening up the, the next section. It's going to be great. Jackie, last week, you crushed it if I can say that you you killed it all these horrible words you did really well and um slayed it um but seriously thanks so much Jackie um and we looked at the final story in Mark 4 which was this really uh dramatic story of you know Jesus sovereignly allowing a storm and then waking up and calming it well my friends if you thought last week was dramatic Fasten your seatbelts because drama is here to stay. Can I have a hallelujah from the thespians? Yes. A lot of you love drama and theatre, so this is great. Um, Who would like to read uh, Mark uh, chapter 5, verse 1 to 20? Come on. I know you all do. Josie, Josie, go for it. Is it alright? It's in the ear. Absolutely. The extra special version. (laughs) the official title Jesus heals a man with a demon they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes Gerasenes. and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. But he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying send us to the pigs let us enter there so he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 
rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Wow. <laughs> what a story. I mean, I'm sure probably most of us have heard that at least bef- once before, but it is intense. Um, my big brother recently came to Christ, age 50, and he said it was reading through the Gospel of Mark was one of the most significant things and just seeing this Jesus not the kind of like hey dudes Jesus this scary Jesus this fear inducing Jesus that he felt like he'd never heard about was actually one of the crucial things that led him to to believe in Christ to bow the knee and to say Jesus is Lord so it's it's, it's a kind of extraordinary passage what tell me what what struck you as the passage was read what particularly stood out in your mind's eye i think it's interesting that he lives in the tombs like i always read that like i always read that to say that he was like ostracized and like cast out to the tombs right but then it also says that like no one could bind him, not even with a chain. Wow. So I'm like, was he, I feel like he could have been wherever he wanted to be because he was right. so much stronger. Okay. don't necessarily know that they would have had, like, the ability to force him to live somewhere. That's interesting. So, so I think it's curious that he's, like, seeking solitude, mm-hmm. more or less. Mm. Just, like, among the tombs and on the mountains. Yeah. That's but a great observation. He's there by choice. Mm-hmm. It seems. Seems to me. Something going on. Anything else? And then at the end, Kim saying, Jesus telling him to go home to your friends and tell them what the Lord has done. It's like, go proclaim it. It hasn't really been a lot of encouragement for you to stop. To do that. So right. Um, and it says he went to the Decapolis, which was like primarily Gentiles. Yes. So that's kind of a shift. Go tell the Gentiles. Wow. That's huge. Yeah, that's a very, very good observation. He's allowed to go public and to the Gentiles, not just the Jews. I'm always struck by people in the region asking him to leave mm-hmm. when such a sign of wonder yeah. is demonstrated amongst them. Fascinating. So true. And one interesting thing for me is that why they were herding pigs. 
and if they were Jews, they weren't supposed to be mm-hmm. not even touching them. Right. And, and they, there they have like 2,000. Even in that situation, if you took the chance to clean up that sin from them, no way. We shall look at that. Great observation. You're right. Pigs, juice, doesn't that not mix, right? That's a strange detail. How did it make you feel then? Let me change the question slightly. What, when you hear that read, or if you read it, what, what's the overall feeling? Authority. Right. Yes. Absolutely. I think also, like, I'm struck by, like, it, it feels like Jesus' desire to, like, chase after, like, the lost sheep and, like, reconnect, like, a sheep to the herd. Mm. Like, more or less. Like, I think that really sticks out to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of going after the one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, like, I've never seen it that way because I've always been on the other side of it reading it. And I'm like, oh, that power is for my good, so I'm not, like, worried about it. And then I'm like, oh, wow, like, actually, if you are on the other side of, like, not knowing, like, you know, Jesus has good, it's like, oh, whoa, he has so yes. much power and he has that capacity, but he's never squashed anybody who loves with it. So it's like, yeah. oh, wow, that's never done like that way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This passage always feels chaotic to me. Mm. It just like, no, it just feels like really loud and a mess and mm-hmm. just really, yeah, just total chaos. And then it's like there's a man sitting there in his right mind. And Jesus, I think the word is subdue. It's like, oh, wow, even though it's all this chaos and there comes this peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe one more comment from anyone. Anything else? I'll just share one more thing. My my dad was um, at some point traveling in some villages in Africa, and they were the the group was studying this passage. Mm-hmm. There was a, a local church there, and they were studying this, and they just they would do this. They just read it, you know, and they were discussing. They were very upset about this passage. Right. Um, and there was a lot of Yeah. Livelihood. And so it was like, oh, wow, hugely. I think being a village, it was like, well, if your life, if all that was gone, like, 
Yes. Yeah. That is absolutely, absolutely true. And there's so much in this story that just takes time to kind of sink in. Um, and if you're not in that kind of culture, you go, oh, 2,000 pigs, bit weird. You know, but you don't feel the, what, that, what actually is happening in terms of the fiscal expense of what's happening and the, and, and the consequences. I want to I wanna look at a couple of things within this. My title today is Pushing Back Darkness one person at a time. As a church, one of our main sort of vision statements is loving well one person at a time. And um, I love this story because there's a lot going on. As has been said, it, is, it does feel chaotic. But really at its heart, it is this amazing story about God's passion, ultimately even just for one person, despite the cost, despite the cost. And there's two things I want to say here today. Number one, so if you're taking notes, you can scribble them down. Number one is that evil is real and we need to be ready, okay? Evil is really real. It's going to come out through some of the comments and we need to actually be ready. Number two, though, Jesus is greater and he will prevail. So first of all, then, when we look at these uh, opening kind of uh, particularly 13 verses and um, we read about this region, Jesus getting at the boat. um, And uh, I always imagine, I don't know why, I always imagine this scene like this sort of creepy fog or something everywhere. And sort of, you know, as the boat, the boat's just got through this crazy storm and they're all in shock. And then they think it's all over and then they're sort of bob over to this creepy part of the shore the eastern eastern part and um and they go to the tomb area and this is this is a genuinely and we're going to look at some of the specific things here this is a scary scene um but the the point i want to say which just leapt out at me when i when i read this to, to state the obvious is that evil is very very real and Although we probably nod and go, oh yeah, that's, you know, we know that, it's interesting. The reason that this is so important is because I think for so many of us in the Western world, we do not actually necessarily often use that word, even though it's throughout the Bible. We don't often always even think about this world as being beautiful, but ultimately sovereignly dominated by a very powerful, malevolent force that Jesus is king but he has allowed Satan and his hordes to have huge influence in this world and I think because as Christians often in the West for various reasons we don't tend to use the word evil we don't think about evil Um, Tom Wright the Bishop of Durham in his brilliant book evil and the justice of God he says because of that mistake that we make for understandable reasons we don't think of evil as a thing often often we you know we live in this kind of disneyland called san francisco and we have comfortable lives and we kind of you know we watch a film where there's a bit of evil in it and then we sort of the film finishes and we're like oh thank goodness back to my pretty safe life right we we live in this kind of cocooned world most of the time um and we don't really want to think about the reality of evil but because of that number two we are often therefore very shocked 
when evil does occur, when, when, when we really see like a 9-11, which interestingly is the exact date that we're speaking today, when we see that like real evil happening, we're often as, as Christians very, very shocked. And number three, because of that, our reactions are often actually not very mature. Because we don't believe in it unconsciously or talk about it, number two, we're shocked when it does sort of force itself upon us. And number three, we, we react often number, in, in two main bad ways. We either kind of demonize everyone else and say everyone else is bad, you know, and we blame everyone else. And there's a blame culture, which is rife. I mean, gosh, you only have to look at politics in this country and it's like, they're the bad guys, we're the good guys, we're good and they're, you know, there's a blame response, everyone else is bad, when, we, when evil does manifest, or we blame ourselves and we just think we're terrible, which is often the root of where depression comes from, some form of just self-hatred. And obviously there's a grain of truth in both those points, but they're not the whole picture. So this is, uh, what I'm trying to say is, us just, you know, there's a lot of complexities in this piece, but just the most simple, obvious point, which is when you read this passage, you cannot avoid the fact that this is telling us evil is really, really real. It's really real. And we need, I think, as Christians, and, and, and the reason this is important is because, as we're going to see, if we if we don't have that as part of our mindset, I think we, we actually find life, in a sense, much more difficult. And we're shocked and surprised and don't re- respond well. So this scene here is a scary scene. It's a, it's a creepy scene, um, as has been said. This is, um, this is the, the region of the Gerasenes, which is the eastern part of the lake. It's a Gentile region. So this isn't Israel. Jesus is going to the one part of the Sea of Galilee that had Roman occupation for a long time in it. It's a Gentile region. And the point that, that is, you know, John Mark is trying to communicate to any Jew reading this is that in almost every possible sense, Jesus is like diving into an incredibly unclean environment. It's a Gentile environment dominated by the Romans there's a there's a man who's probably naked because it says later he's dressed so there's a naked man who has an impure spirit um, and is self-harming and is terrifying approaches jesus so for for a jew it's like this is in gentile land he's in the in a tomb in a graveyard which is which also for a jew was was ritually unclean he's got a an unclean spirit in him so everything about this this scene is like whoa for a jew reading this it was like unclean 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 and jesus with his authority as we notice kind of fearlessly though walking into this into this scene the word legion or the the idea of legion uh was was referring to 5600 soldiers that's what a legion was so the fact that this man, when he speaks, says, my name is Legion, is a hint at this terrifying scene of this man literally having thousands of demons in him. And then obviously, as we see, then the twist in all of this is that um, when the demons speak to Jesus, he, he grants them their wish. 
and they end up being poured into this uh, into this herd of pigs which again for a Jew reading this is like can this get any more unclean like in every single way there's an incredibly powerful point that symbolically is being made here to a Jew reading this the Romans were like pigs to them the Romans were like Satan incarnate they had crushed them and controlled them and dominated them for as long as they could remember and this idea of all of these pigs herding rushing into the into the sea to a Jew was like wow Christ is confronting this sort of impure scene and and is 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 demonstrating his authority by even all of these uh, thousands of pigs going into the ocean which is almost like a picture for them of like oh wow Jesus hinting at the Roman occupation and his authority even over that so there's loads going on here it's a a chaotic scene but it's at its heart the thing to realize is this is communicating to us number one evil is really real we don't know why this man or how this man got so um, like overwhelmed with demonic spirits but it's really real Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, doesn't he? He says, you know, deliver us from evil. He uses that word. And um, a few weeks ago, Robbie preached an earlier passage where Jesus talks about the strong man, which was code for Satan, holding people, holding people until the stronger man, Jesus, comes and grabs them and sets them free. In Ephesians 6, Paul talks about evil. He says, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against unseen principalities and powers. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, um, he talks, says, in order that Satan might not outwit us because of his schemes. In Luke 11, Jesus says to those listening, he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does your Father in heaven love to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Evil is everywhere. <laughs> If you've ever, I had this experience a few years ago where um, when we lived in Visalia, we decided to read, listen to the book of Genesis with our kids at night, thinking, oh, that would be a good thing to do. If you've ever read the book of Genesis with your children, you're like, this is R-rated from the beginning, and you never notice it as an adult. And then you start reading about brothers killing each other, and you read about Abraham allowing his wife to be raped by a king twice and then you read about about lot you know abraham's um or no abraham's uh, nephew and his daughters get him drunk and have sex with him sorry girls it's gross but it's right there and you're reading genesis and evil is just everywhere now this is this is just really important because modern psychology and i did a psychology major i love psychology and it's got a gift to the body of christ modern psychology has crept into the church and number one we don't tend to even think of like the spirit realm at all right anyone here hardly ever but you know there's those wacky christians who are always talking about it and we're the intellectual ones in san francisco so we don't you know we we give a sense to it but we don't really think in terms of the spirit world at all and we don't tend to think about evil you know in, in modern psychology it's much more about embracing your shadow 
we'll use language like um, you know uh, you know just the, the cognitive side of things and again I, I find this so helpful but I think one of the negative impacts of the influence of, of psychology on the church is that we become we become basically like materialists which basically means we just believe in things that we can see and touch you know neurological firings is what is real we become rationalists you know we just think things that are rational things that are material are real and although it seems unthinkable um, we can be Christians who don't even believe in a spirit realm let alone an evil spirit realm because it sounds embarrassing you know to think about Satan and demons and the reality of that world and that's that scheme that impacting on us we often just reject it you go to other countries like India you cannot escape the reality of evil spirits if anyone had ever been to a country where it's just very obvious that um, rationalism doesn't work materialism doesn't work you know in, in America it's much more subtle you know Satan's schemes for hiding are very real here he hides through like worldviews like comfort or humanism or scientism you know or even that progress is automatic but the idea that even when progress is happening still this world is very influenced by a very real evil is something that I think um, certainly in the world I, I don't feel like that's part of our language even though it's kind of classic orthodox Christianity is that that it is very very real I had um, a friend of mine well an acquaintance not a friend who is a Californian and him and his wife moved to I can't name the country but just think of probably the scariest country in the world to plant the church and God used this man in his 30s to ultimately see no exaggeration thousands of house churches started in one of the most persecuted countries in the world after a few years him and his wife moved back to California and when they were here after a few months his wife said she said you know what I want us to move back with our kids back to the, the country in the Middle East because here it is like there is a satanic lullaby that is being sung over this country because you meet Christians and they never talk about evil they never talk about even spiritual matters they just think our lives are fine and we just add a little bit of Christianity on and then we go back to our kind of basically secular mindset and she said it's terrifying I would rather be in a place where we will probably end up dying for our faith and take my kids there but at least you can see the enemy's work so much more clearly people have an understanding and a worldview of the spirit realm and the reality of good and evil and they move back and they're now there and they were like we do not regret it for a second so what are the implications of this that evil is real and we need to be ready number one it makes sense of our struggles right so as I was reading it, I was thinking that we don't have to get into loads of detail about exactly the nature of the devil or exactly how this all works. At the very simple level, if you just take away from this talk, evil is real. In the unseen realm, there is still an enemy and there are still impacts and there's schemes and there's fiery darts and all the other imagery. It makes sense of why your life is hard, at least partly, right? There's a load of reasons why your life is hard. But one of the biggest reasons I never think about is the reality of spiritual warfare, of the reality of evil, of the reality that there is someone who doesn't like me and he is actually real. And 
particularly when you try and do something in some way for a kingdom advance, there will be some measure of pushback. So in a strange way, although this doesn't solve it, it's like when you go to the doctor and you're ill but you don't know what the problem is. One relief is when you realise, they say, oh, the issue is this. I can't automatically solve it, but I can give a name to it. So, friends, one of the things I just want to say, one of the implications for this is, be encouraged. I mean, I know a lot of you, and I know a lot of the challenges you're, you're facing. And I'm not going to blow your cover, but I'm like, do you, it, when you think and you pray about this, do you think there's these things, oh, and also the potential, that the forces of evil are actually real in some way in those relationships that are really strained and those things that are difficult even in lease agreements and things that are just have a human dimension do we even think god have your way in this area you know maybe it's just me but i i was like man yes that's why at times i feel so downcast and feel so anxious and so depressed and sometimes i just feel like a wave of fear coming over me from nowhere does anyone else in any way resonate with this and I just think oh that's strange who knows weird let's just watch Netflix you know or whatever and I no it's like you know evil is real and um, without even getting into tons of detail and disagreement about the details understanding that should encourage you and help you understand why life is, is difficult I think it also should toughen you be encouraged but secondarily be toughened like I think we can be very very naive um about this um you know there's a there's a saying don't want to offend everyone here don't spend too long on the east coast of america because you'll get too hard and don't spend too long on the west coast because you'll get too soft <laughs> oh silence um and basically saying that i don't know if that's true man's lived on both sides but um the idea that the west coast californians we can be at times a little soft and you know tap out and we say one thing and don't always do the other like this idea that the christian life is automatically you know sort of standing against unseen principalities and powers and that you're going to be you're going to be hit whether you like it or not is really crucial the christian so discipleship is more about preparation than protection okay it's more about equipping than escaping. Did you hear that? Like you are go wherever you move to, wherever you live, whatever age, this side of Christ's return, there is going to be some kind of battle and some kind of work of the enemy against us. And us understanding that doesn't mean something's wrong, but I have to get a vision in my life for for sort of toughening in God. There's a, a famous story that the Protestant. Um, Eugene Peterson, who's a great pre uh, Presbyterian scholar, he met a Roman Catholic old lady nun and he was talking about the reality of sin and evil and she giggled to herself. He said, oh, you Protestants, you're all the same. You never talk about evil. He said, you never talk about it and so you're so shocked. People are evil. This world is very broken and there is evil out there and there is evil in us. Jesus said it a ton. It's throughout the Bible. You need to kind of not stop being so naive. There is a reality to this. So I think this is true. Secondarily though, so number one, it makes sense of our struggles, okay? So weirdly, be encouraged by the reality of this because it's, it's a piece of our jigsaw we often forget. Number two, you need to see yourself 
as very significant. And I would say, uh, not just individually, but what we're doing as very significant. So what I'm saying is this, if, if the reality is, is that this life is not just like a Disneyland, and like uh, humans will naturally just progress and everything will just get better, which is the kind of dream of utopia that San Francisco believes, right? If we just keep making more apps and everything's going to keep getting better. And the Bible's like, there's no mention, you know, like I'm not against progress, don't get me wrong, but the idea that we naively think that when the Bible's still like there is a war going on and many of us are asleep and we're not even thinking in those terms. Like, if you think about that, even at a basic understanding, your standing as a Christian in this world, in the, in the realm that you're called to, is suddenly incredibly important. Do you understand that? If, if we are in a world that's basically being lied to and affected and impacted by a real enemy, every time you in your workplace or with your neighbours or with your friends, in some way just stand in Christ it is incredibly important you are you're not just having a nice conversation you are literally in some way pushing back darkness you are bringing the kingdom of God do you understand that it's in, it's a I had a friend who um, was a policeman incredibly godly guy big guy um, Christian senior police officer and he was exposing uh, corruption in the British police force where they were turning their, um, their, uh, their resources away from exposing paedophilia because it wasn't actually measurable to other, thing, other types of crime that they could measure. It was so dark. And my friend was exposing this in his seniors. And there was one time when he went into a meeting and his boss was there and he came up to him and he, and he slammed like a, a bulletproof vest into him. And he said you're going to need this after the roasting I'm going to give you in the next half an hour in front of all these people. And he did. And uh, this, this boss just tore into him. And this tough, big guy, um, but who's a tender Christian man and was bravely trying to expose the evil that was happening in the British police force, he almost kind of, you know, he almost lost it. He just about survived. And Paul is saying, you know, even in Ephesians, you are his masterpiece. Yes, we're his masterpiece. We're, we're Christ's masterpiece. Therefore, put on the full armour of God. Amen? So don't be naive. As you think about your life, you're no less in the battle than my mate. You're, it's exactly the same. If you in any way are trying to do the right thing in your realm of life, there will be opposition. And that's not to freak you out. It's just to go, oh yeah, do it, of course. This week I've been like, why do I so often forget that there will be a battle? There is a battle, but it's a, it's a good fight. Fight the good fight, is what Paul says. And I would even say this, that's, that's the, the individual level. But what we're doing as a little church plant is actually more significant than sometimes I think we imagine, right? If, if, the, if 98% of people don't go to church in San Francisco, so you look out that window, most people this morning have no thought of God that's a big deal that's like satan literally influencing them i know that sounds very unpolitically correct but that's actually what the bible says and so even us bothering to come together and to open the bible to pray to jesus to do what we can and to even ourselves be strengthened 
I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, we can all compare ourselves and go, we're not as big as other churches and we're not, as, we haven't got a building. We can, you know, there's so many things that like feel so weak. But I'm like, but God, you're, this is important. And even the fact my daughter is listening to this, I mean, I'm deadly serious. I want her to know this world, there is a real evil out there. Often as Christians, we, you know, my job is not to just protect Daisy, it's to prepare Daisy. It's for her to understand that, like, church is not some, like, optional extra. And I know everyone's deconstructing it, and I get it. It's a bit of a mess. It's always been a mess, but it is the lifeboat that God has given us in a world of chaos and evil and, and darkness. And it's really important. And I know pastor after pastor after pastor who is leaving the church and just giving up. And I get it. But I'm just like, man, this is a big frigging deal. Even our little gathering here in this place, in Portola, there's like 10, 20,000 people and virtually no churches. And I'm just saying, God, help us to see even what we're doing through the eyes of God. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Like, it's not just about your comfort. I'm not, I don't want to build a church that's like as attractive as possible for consumer Christians to come. And I repent. I get into that mindset. How can we make it as attractive as possible for consumer Christians to come and gobble and go back to their selfish lives? And Jesus is like, that's not the gospel. That's not why you're here. This world is literally dominated by the prince of darkness. And as Christians, our lives are about saying to the true king, I give you my allegiance and I want to take up the arms that I do have and I want to actually in some way stand and, and, and in some way push back darkness despite all my weaknesses and my frailties. That is, the church is not like some little optional thing. It is, it is broken and it is weak and it has done a lot of rubbish things. But it's like, I don't know if this is communicating. There's just something, it only makes sense if you think there's a, a problem. It only makes sense if you think there's an enemy. You know, when, when my girls are like, hey, I'm going to go and hang out in San Francisco, I have to say to them, do you realise there was a shooting at the top of this, of this street? There really was an execution a month ago. Now, I don't want to freak them out, but they need to understand the reality of, of this world. And so, you know, I want my kids to do stuff and have fun things in their life, but I really want them to grow up going, you know what, like, knowing God and actually being part of a community is like we're in a war zone and this is like this is crucial these are people who are going to speak truth over me who are going to help me to see reality truly and not just as some disney world it's like when we remove talk of evil from our lives we just play into the enemy's hands and i think often we're so arrogant in the west we just think oh yeah you know that kind of talk about evil spirits and evil that's for kind you know yeah, we won't mention that. And, and I think the enemy is like fantastic. Those proud, arrogant, weak Christians in the West. They just, they remove all of the problem. And so church is this optional thing that, you know, you choose the one that's, if you want to. So I just, I just feel like, as you can tell, quite passionate about this. Um, and the third thing I'd say is to, we have to be spirit filled. The implication of this is that this, you know, I was talking to this older couple, rich wealthy Californian business owners a few years ago in Santa Cruz and they they love Jesus and I remember talking to them in their 70s and I, I remember bringing up the, the issue of the Holy Spirit I was a bit nervous because you know 
particularly in the States, that quite a lot of American Christians are nervous and they think, oh, they're charismaniacs. So I was like, they're going to probably hate me after I mentioned the word the Holy Spirit. But their eyes lit up and they went, isn't he amazing? And they said, for the first few years of our Christian life, we weren't filled with the Spirit. And then we got filled with the Spirit. And we now realize that, you know, being charismatic or whatever you want to call it, being filled with the Spirit isn't like a theological kind of luxury. It's the only way you can actually survive living a life of holiness in this world. Like it's, it's, it's not like a, it's the power source that God's given us. And the more that you actually experience the pressures and the difficulties of the enemy, the more you realize, man, <laughs> I need the Spirit of God. So, first of all then, evil is real and we must be ready. Number two though, we then see the story move on. Um, and, you know, uh, from verse 14, it, we, we pick up the picture where there's, there's, there's been this sober beginning and we've kind of almost got this graphic image of 2,000 pigs floating around in the background. <laughs> I mean, oh, I mean, it's gross. But that's true. They're just like dead bodies floating around. And uh, th- verse 14, those tending, <laughs> those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. And you guys have no- noted, look at the three things. Sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Isn't that interesting? Those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man. And they, they told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat... The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. I bet he did. But Jesus didn't let him. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So there's this final amazing second part that I just want to finish on where, yes, evil is real and we have to be ready. And I hope hope that's communicated. came out quite emotionally. Um, But secondarily, Jesus, though, is greater. And his will will prevail. He will prevail. And there's this just beautiful picture that I want us just to hold in our minds of, you know, this strange, this strange image of these dead pigs bobbing around. And then just this guy, and for some reason it doesn't say this, but I always kind of picture him like in a suit now or something, you know, with a really nice hair, with a great, you know, he's been to the great barber, and he's sitting there like, what happened? You know, like, I was just tormented and now I'm sitting here with this incredible sense of dignity and those three those three words those three descriptors seated dressed and in his right mind it's this stunning picture of of a man who was once you know just previously he was alone he was he was naked he was on the he was outside the city he was screaming and self-harming and now we see this amazing picture of this man and he's sitting there and the gospel of Jesus has come to town. And I love that, those, those little details where he says, Jesus, can I come with you? <laughs> you know, he's like, I just want to be around you. It's like if you ever watched the, watch the, the Chosen, I don't know if you've ever seen that. I think most of us have. Whenever I watch it, I just think, oh man, I know that's just an actor, but it makes me want to be around Jesus. His smile, his kindness, his love. 
and I love it it's Jesus is like no we've got all eternity together son you've got a bit of work to do but I'm going to be thinking of you you're going to be in my heart and did you notice he says go back to your hometown to your people it's like this man was an actual human now we don't know his name apart from Legion which obviously wasn't his real name but it's like that there's a humanizing here right and this is an important thing just to mention you know like often when you're in the tenderloin or you're around san francisco and you see people who are kind of like this don't we all just see them as like sort of subhuman one of the things i often try and tell myself is that is someone's child that person has a name that person was once held probably and loved by their mum or their dad and now they're here just out here and we see that Jesus here he's this this beautiful detail of this man the dignity of this man is shining through and um, I want us to note also that the evil couldn't just be neutralized it had to be relocated do you notice that detail the evil wasn't just and Jesus says and the evil went it's very fascinating that the evil had to be relocated it had to go somewhere and obviously in this situation Jesus sends it sends it to the pigs 2,000 pigs are absorbed as it were the, the place of that evil but it creates it's almost like as you imagine in your mind those pigs now being the very carrying of the evil spirits this man you can almost feel in that image in your mind you can almost feel can't you the lightness the sense of <sighs> those things were inside me and now as far as the east is from the west so far you have removed our transgressions they're now over in the sea and and notice notice the contrast and some of you were pointing this out that the response of the people there's the man there sitting there thrilled relieved but the people it says um, in verse 15 they were fearful and then in verse 17 they pleaded with Jesus to leave and and we know why right because this man I mean they I read a couple of comments on this they don't know exactly the financial cost of these 2,000 pigs but it would have been at least the equivalent to half a million dollars worth at least and so these guys understandably are irritated this scary kind of crazy guy that was near their farm probably scaring their children for years upon year is now healed but the cost of that is almost financial ruin and so I have, a, I have a lot of sympathy for them. You know, I, have, I do sympathise why they're kind of like, yeah, of course, we want this guy to be delivered. That's a cool thing, but not at the expense of our entire livelihood. But this is so beautiful because at the same time that we can identify in a human way with that, it's almost like this image in our minds is deliberately so vivid that Je there's no hint in Jesus of like the fiscal consequence of this was not worth it it's almost like jesus i mean he doesn't say this exactly but i can imagine him with a smile on his face looking at this guy saying you were once alone and naked and tormented and now you're here seated 
dressed and in your right mind. And I couldn't give a rat's that this costs so much money. It's of no consequence to me. It's like this picture is dramatic. Because for Jesus, it's like the price of one human soul, one person coming to know God, one person becoming his masterpiece is worth 10,000 pigs, 50,000 pigs. You see this, this sense of like, you know, the world, and we identify with people, and we're like, this seems so extravagant, so, you know, financially terrible. Like, I would never pay half a million dollars for one person to come to know Jesus and to be set free, right? Would any of us here, with all, with all of course you wouldn't. And yet for Jesus, he's like, no, 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 this is, this is like the best use of money ever. There's no scrap of Jesus being like, oh yeah, that was a bit pricey, wasn't it? You know, I probably shouldn't have done that. It's this beautiful picture here of Jesus saying, and, and, and obviously when we think about this, Jesus, you know, a short time later, he's not going to be paying a few thousand dollars. Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross. The cost, like for Jesus, the reason Jesus is like, oh wow, boo hoo, a few thousand pigs. The reason that Jesus doesn't think of that as costly is because a short time later, he is going to be on a cross paying the ultimate price. He's going to be there naked, outside the city, alone, in pain, probably shouting in pain. Jesus is going to become like that man was. Jesus is going to pay the price so that he and we can ultimately come to know him. And I just think, man, that's, that's breathtaking. When we see that, you know, we talk about being his masterpiece, right? We were talking about that last week. And we see here like an actual ex- story of it, of how this guy went from being a mess to being a masterpiece. And I just think, man, Jesus, when Jesus looks at the price he paid for you and for me, there is no, uh, there's no part of him that regrets the cost on that cross. If you're anything like me, when I read this story, I tend to go, oh, there's Jesus the hero. Wow, isn't he amazing? And then the next step I do is go, oh, and he's going to sort of pass the baton to me to be like him. So I need to look at Jesus being action man. And then I need to go out and be action man as well, right? And I miss the point, which is actually, we're all actually like that man. Now, we may not be literally, you know, um, demon-possessed. But in that story, we are, we are that man. We are the man that is 100% vulnerable and needy and dependent on the power and the might of Jesus Christ to overcome to overcome and so if you're a christian here today we are not just those who are now you know physically seated although we are but the bible says we are now seated in heavenly places and we're not just dressed like he was but we are robed in righteousness and we're not just in a right mind but we as as christians now have the mind of Christ. So Jesus here, we see, he, uh, as has been said in the comments, he is someone 
who despite all the cost he came to push back evil one person at a time he wants us to be a church that understands the reality of evil do we do we understand that do we factor that in do we understand therefore the true calling on us to um, be engaged with that battle but do we also understand that in a sense we are not the ultimate hero hallelujah jesus is he's the one in this story that stands with such authority he's the one that this week goes before us he's the one that is the one that will make the way i love the old hymn you might know it i don't know how popular it is in america but it's a it's a classic in britain and the first line says praise my soul the king of heaven to his feet your tribute bring ransomed healed restored forgiven evermore his praises sing alleluia alleluia praise the everlasting king so i want us today to um to finish our time we're going to break bread and um obviously breaking bread we do this virtually every week is a wonderful way in which we can be those who uh in a sense are reminded of these two aspects of what i've been talking about today first of all that because evil is real it's not a joke this world you know the stakes are high it cost jesus literally physically dying with his body and shedding his blood but secondarily he didn't do it reluctantly he didn't do it um kind of thinking man this this cost is is rather high for these people to come to know me but as we see from here jesus is like metrics for the price of even one soul are so different to us and i think it, it frees us to understand yes this world is at war <laughs> man my eyes have been maybe a little bit opened but at the same time the jesus that stands with us the jesus that goes with us this week the jesus that is the same jesus that was willing to dive into that unclean scene dive into that dark place and dive into paying actually a massive dramatic very unpopular cost for that one man to know jesus he is the same jesus today who wants to wash our feet metaphorically the energy the giving nature of christ which is so different to us the one who willingly gave his body and his blood once today just to come and to tend to us so i'd love us to break bread but i also if there's um if there's just things in your life you would just love prayer for maybe there's things that you think yeah i you know uh i don't want to just face this battle like on my own i i, I need people to help kind of get around me and to um kind of help push into me through prayer the bigness of christ who wasn't scared of the demons who wasn't overwhelmed with them who wasn't put off by the cost but despite everything went for that one man i need to kind of have something of that jesus come into me afresh today once we've broken bread i'd love to, i'll just invite you afresh but this is like a little heads up if you would just love prayer um people to pray with you i'd love us just to have a few moments to do that um and then we'll bring our time to an end so um tim could you lead us through Absolutely. breaking of bread and communion and then we'll 
we'll pray for each other after that.